Kelly and I are reading a devotion on you version together called Follow Jesus, written by a pastor named David Platt. One of the daily devotions, Platt said, For the few who choose to abandon themselves to the will of God and put their trust in His character, following Jesus wherever He leads, no matter the cost, is the only thing that makes sense. In the journal section of the devotion, I wrote, The few, man, that really gets me. And is this true? Is it only a few who abandon themselves to the will of God? If so, why? Have we genuinely abandoned ourselves to the will of God? I mean, is it true that only a few genuinely abandon themselves to the will of God? And if so, why is that true? But I guess you could also ask, why would we abandon ourselves to the will of God? And if we did, what would it look like in our daily lives to be abandoned to do the will of God? I'm going to try to answer those questions tonight. And to do this, I'm going to break out an old school word, consecration. Even though consecration is an important spiritual act, it's not much used in our day. And even if you've heard of the word, you may not know what it means. In a general sense, consecration refers to the act of dedicating yourself to a specific purpose or intention. To consecrate yourself essentially means to wholly dedicate yourself to something of greatest importance to you, whatever is of greatest importance to you. In a more specific sense, consecration is wholly giving ourselves or devoting ourselves to God. Consecration is where we give ourselves to God so completely we do God's will regardless of what that may be, and we do God's will regardless of what it may cost us personally. We prioritize God's will over our will, so every, so every aspect of our lives is lived for God. In other words, we abandon ourselves to the will of God. Now, the idea of consecration is seen in the Old and the New Testaments. I want to look at a couple of places in, in each one to talk about it tonight. One of the earliest mentions of the word consecration is in the book of Joshua. It says, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do miracles among you. Now, if you're familiar with the story, they're at the verge of going into the promised land. God is going to part the river and they're going to walk across on dry land to remind them kind of in part of the crossing of the Red Sea. And in order to, to move across into the promised land, Joshua tells them via the Lord they're to consecrate themselves. But it's an interesting picture I, I noticed today as I was studying this. Consecrate yourselves now, for tomorrow the Lord will do miracles among you. For them to get to go and take the promised land, to conquer it as they were supposed to, they would need God's miracles. The river was flooded, if you remember the story, and there was no way to cross. They would need a miracle from God to part the river so they could go on through to the other side. When they would get to Jericho... They would need a miracle so that when they walked around the walls and yelled at the walls, they would fall down. Later, they would need a miracle after they had marched all night. They would need the miracle of the sun standing still so they could fight the enemy. They would need the miracle of God raining hailstones down upon their enemies and, and much, much more. They, they could not conquer the promised land without these miracles. But in order to receive these miracles, they had to consecrate themselves first. Right? If they did not consecrate themselves on this day, there would be no miracles on the next day. And in fact, if you remember the story of the book of Joshua, they only lost one battle in the whole book. And they lost it because someone 
in the camp among the group ceased to be consecrated to the Lord. And doing so defiled the, the whole nation. So the only loss they had was because of a lack of consecration among the people. Now what I thought about with this is I wonder, what if the reason we don't see more mighty moves of God in our day, what if it has nothing to do with the fact God has changed? And it has everything to do with the level of consecration among the people of God. I'm not even talking about parting rivers or raining hailstones down on the bad guys. I'm talking about more ordinary type miracles. I mean, a lost person being saved is a pretty significant miracle. A prodigal being restored, a, a broken heart, a world this or a heart this world has broken being healed through the gospel. Captives being set free. The spiritually dead being raised to new life in Christ. All of those are, are miracles, for only God can do them. And what if? What if a, a lack of consecration and a pervasive worldliness and lukewarmness was the great hindrance of our day? I'm not saying it is. I'm just asking, what if? What, what if it was? And if it was, what would we be willing to do about it? Would we be content with the way things are? Or would we be willing to abandon ourselves to the will of God to see more of God at work in our midst, in our country, in our community, in our church? Another Old Testament reference, and one I want us to actually look at in your Bibles. Open your Bible to 2 Kings 22. We're actually going to read in 23, but 22 is kind of a Start in 2 Kings 22. Josiah is eight years old when he becomes king. And he leads the people back to the worship of God. The people have abandoned God for years. And, and, and in fact, it's an interesting story. They've abandoned God to such an extent they don't even realize they've abandoned God. Right? They still have a form of godliness among them. They still do some of the things that their ancestors had taught them. It's not like they're completely all in on Baal worship and they've abandoned Yahweh altogether. There's a form of, of worship of Yahweh going on. There are sacrifices being made and things along those lines. But they're really far from God. They're so far from God, they think they're not far from God. That's how far from God they are. They don't even know the God they're supposed to be worshiping. And so Josiah has them rebuild the temple. And as they're rebuilding the temple, they come across a treasure. And the treasure is the law of God. God's law has been lost for no telling how many years. They have not let it. They've been kind of doing things off of memory. What they remember, the traditions that have been passed down, but not from God's law. And so the people who find it, they, they bring it to, to Josiah. And they begin to read it to him. And they begin to read what God had said about how they were supposed to live and how they were supposed to worship Him and the agreements that the people made and the covenant God made with them and the covenant they made with God. And, and as Josiah is hearing how they're supposed to be living, his heart breaks because he realizes how far from God they truly are. He, had, he and the people had no idea how to worship their God. 
He and the people did not even really know their God. But he knew there was a prophetess. So he he sent word to her. And he said, what's going to happen? I've read all of these words. And it says we're living like this and we're way off. And God has said if we we live like this, he's going to bring judgment upon us. What can we do? And hold of the prophetess, prophetesses, prophet, hold of the lady prophet comes with a message and says it's all going to happen. But because of Josiah's tender heart toward the word, it won't happen in his lifetime. But Josiah, seeing that that lukewarmness and pervasive worldliness was the problem of the day, wasn't content to leave it as they were. Chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, Josiah gathers all the people together. Chapter 23, verse 1 said, The king sent messengers, and they gathered to him the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and every man of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, the priests, the prophets, and all the people from small and great. And he read in their presence the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And here's what he did. And the king stood by the pillar, made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, to keep his provisions, to keep his statutes with all his heart and all his soul and to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people entered into the covenant. But so Josiah calls the people together and he he gets them to make a covenant with God. It is a covenant to walk after the Lord. It is a covenant to keep the commandments of the Lord, to keep the statutes of the Lord, to keep the provisions of the Lord and to do this with all of their heart. And then to carry out all the words that were written in the covenant. And the word consecration is not there, but what he's calling a covenant with God to live is what we're talking about with consecration tonight. The people heard the word and they also understood how far from the Lord they were. They realized pervasive worldliness and lukewarmness was the great problem of their day. And they weren't content to stay the way they were. They consecrated themselves to God. They made a covenant essentially to abandon themselves to the will of God. Now, in both of these two cases, what we've seen, consecration was in part an act of the will. The people had to choose to consecrate themselves for the Lord to do the miracles. Josiah read the word. This is what we're supposed to do. The people then had to choose to follow Josiah. He made the covenant. But then the people had to choose to follow through with this as well. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But I want to plant that thought in our head as we move forward. Now, consecration isn't just an Old Testament idea. We see the idea in the New Testament as well. One passage in particular uh, is most commonly Referred to. Turn to Romans 12. Now, this is going to be a familiar passage. You probably already know what we're going to look at in Romans 12. Because if there is one New Testament passage that, that speaks of consecration, of abandoning ourselves to the will of God, it is Romans 12. And, and one and two all together, but we're actually just going to mostly look at, at one. I'll read one and two, but we're going to talk from verse one tonight. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what, it, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what we're called on to do here is to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. But the language used here is that of offering our bodies, presenting our bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice. Now, to, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice is to set ourselves aside wholly for the service of God. It, it is to abandon ourselves to the, to the will of God. And again, the, the word consecration isn't used here, but the idea surely is consecrating ourselves to God. So we become living sacrifices who are set aside wholly for the service of God, who have abandoned themselves to the will of God. This is a big thing. Right? This is not a, a minor thing we're talking about with this to say yes to consecration to God and to abandon ourselves to the will of God is to say no to everything else. Right? If I say yes, I am going to consecrate myself to God. I am going to be a living sacrifice, abandoned to the will of God, that I have to be willing to say no to anything that is not the will of God. To say yes to consecration to God and to abandon ourselves to the will of God is to say yes to anything God wants us to do, no matter what that may be. So if God, it's, it's similar to Isaiah. Who will go and whom shall I send? Me. Where? How long? What's the job? Don't matter. I'm your God. I am consecrated to you. I've abandoned myself to the will of God. It is to say yes to God no matter what. To say yes to consecration to God and abandon ourselves to the will of God is to say no to anything God wants us to say no to, regardless of what this may be. Now, again, this is a big thing. We know from Hebrews chapter 12, we're told to lay aside sin, which is common for everyone, but also weights. The deal about a weight is what is a weight for you may not be a weight for me. So that means God may tell you to say no to something that he allows me to say yes to. And God may tell me to say no to something that He allows you to say yes to. And consecration to the will of God is saying, God, if you tell me to say no to this, I will, no matter who gets to say yes to it. Consecrating ourselves to the will of God. So we become living sacrifices, set aside wholly for the service of God, and who are abandoned to the will of God is not a minor thing. Consecrating ourselves to God so we become a living sacrifice, wholly dedicated to God, who are abandoned to the will of God is not something we can kind of, sort of do. We can't halfway do this. We have to be all in. There is no halfway, partway, three-quarters way. It, it, it is literally all or nothing. In God's economy with this. 
So that's big. This is a big thing. What we're talking about with consecration is a big thing. It's not pray a prayer and then tomorrow God starts doing miracles in our community because we pray for Him. That's not what it is. It's bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. It is life-altering, life-changing. It rearranges things in who we are and how we are. So that could bring the question, why? Why would I, why would I do that? I mean... Life is okay. Life right now, if I'm wherever I'm at, however, my life is is kind of okay. Why would I go this far in with it? Well, sensing we might ask that question, we're given the answer preemptively in verse 1. And the answer is by the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God. See, the appeal to consecrate ourselves, to, to become living sacrifices, wholly dedicated to God, who are abandoned to the will of God, is based upon the mercies God has shown to us. The picture is we are to be so amazed at the mercy God has shown to us, and its mercies, plural, God has shown toward us, we willingly, probably even joyfully, consecrate ourselves, offer Ourselves and abandon ourselves to the will of God. So what are the mercies of God that we would talk about? Well, it, essentially, it's everything God has done for us through Jesus. It is everything Jesus has accomplished in us and through us and for us. The book of Romans, prior to this passage where we are, has done a good job of summarizing what Jesus has done. And so I want to just hit some of the big things, some of the mercies God has given to us because of Jesus. Jesus willingly died for our sins. And this is, of course, the most basic aspect of our Christian faith, of the gospel. And it's something we are all very familiar with. And my fear with this is we become so familiar we forget how great this truly is. I mean, Jesus, I was reading today in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and it makes reference to Isaiah seeing the glory of God. So it's that passage in Isaiah 6. And he sees God in, in all of his glory, and he sees him high and lifted up, and the train of his temple, fill, or the train of his robe fills the temple, and the angels are worshiping him, and they won't even look at him. And then Isaiah says, when he saw him speaking of Jesus in all of his glory. It's what we see in Isaiah 6. It's Jesus in his natural glorified state before he came to earth. And the, 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 the God in, Gen in Isaiah 6 who was exalted and lifted up and the angels praised. He, he left all of that on purpose. Willingly. Like there was... There's nothing outside of, of Jesus that could have made Jesus come. And He came. And He lived here in the ground among us. And he did great miracles and He taught neat things. And He upset the, the, the apple cart of the religious leaders of the day. And, and for all of the good He did, He was rejected by His own. He was abandoned by His disciples and he was horribly beaten. And then he was crucified. And he died. And on the cross he, 
He took the penalty our sins deserved. Not, not, just, not just a guy, right? This isn't just like, I died so that you guys could escape. It's not that. It's, it's the God of Isaiah 6. He did that willingly for you and for me. I mean, if we think, I mean, we could, we, we could legitimately be able to stop here and say, if God did this for me, how could I not? How, how could I not be consecrated to Him? How could I not crawl on the altar and devote myself to Him and abandon my life to do His will? How could I not? But that's not all he did. He died for us, but Jesus also freed us from the penalty of sin. Our sins earned a wage. His death accomplished something. But it wasn't like just this example. It accomplished something specific. Your sins, my sins, earned a wage in the courts of heaven. The wages of sin is death. You and I... We deserve to die for our sins against God. Not not our sins against people. Our sins against the God of Isaiah 6. And we sinned against the God of Isaiah 6 by thumbing our nose at Him and telling Him, You'll not tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do in my own life. We made ourselves His enemy in the process. And rather than smiting us, Rather than judging us, rather than going to war with us, He left the throne and He came down to die. And in the process, He paid the penalty our sins earned. And now because of what Jesus has done, we are freed from the penalty of sin. There is... No condemnation for us, Romans 8, 1 tells us. There's not a future version of us that's free from condemnation. The version of us sitting here tonight that have been redeemed through the grace of God, we are free from the penalty of sins. We, when we stand before the Lord, we will stand before Him clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All of His righteousness was put into our account and all of our wickedness was put upon His cross. And so He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He made us righteous before a holy God so that we can be allowed entrance into heaven. And if we think about that, we think about what Jesus has done in light of what we have done. How could we not be so awed by the mercies of God that we would consecrate ourselves to God and we would crawl upon the altar and we would devote ourselves to Him and abandon our lives to do the will of God? Jesus freed us from slavery to sin. Romans 6 and Romans 8 wonderfully explain to us we have no obligation whatsoever to do with our sinful nature desires. Jesus not only freed us from the the ultimate punishment of sin, but 
He took us from a position of where we were slaves to sin and we had no choice to he set us free and made us freedmen who are servants of his, but free from the law of sin, free from slavery to sin. Our sinful nature, it still entices us. The world still entices us. The devil still entices us, but they cannot make us do anything. We are free. And able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus at all points and at all times in our lives. When we understand what he has done in freeing us from slavery to sin, how could we not consecrate ourselves to him? Climb upon the altar as a living sacrifice and just surrender and abandon our lives to do his will. Jesus not only freed us from slavery to sin, but he he freed us from slavery to the law. In Romans 7, Paul explains we've been freed from slavery to the law. And what this means in a, in a condensed sense for us tonight is we don't have to try to be good enough. Because we never will be. Our best efforts are filthy rags. We will never be good enough. And because of what Jesus has done, we're freed from having to try to be good enough. Jesus kept the law on our behalf. And now, as I said, we are righteous. We are as righteous in Christ as though we had never transgressed the law of God. As a disciple of Jesus who's been born again through faith in Jesus. We are as holy and as righteous and as pure in the eyes of God. As if we had never once sinned or done anything wrong In our entire lives. Our salvation. Is never based upon how good we are. It is always based upon how good Jesus is. It is never based upon our righteous actions. It is always based upon his righteous actions. We are freed from a performance works based salvation. Free to enjoy the goodness and the grace and the mercy of our God. And if we understand that, how could we not be amazed at the mercy of God and consecrate ourselves to him and climb up on the altar and offer ourselves to be a living sacrifice who is wholly abandoned to do his will? God adopted us as his children. Romans 8 Told us that we've been adopted as children of God through our faith in Jesus. Again, this is something that I think should astound us. We were his enemies through our wicked actions and our evil intents of our mind. And God not only took us as those who were rebellious and enemies of his and and wiped the slate clean and made us righteous. He then took us and made us his own. Have you ever had someone in your life that was kind of an an enemy? Someone that was, I don't mean just like someone you got a little crossways with, but I mean someone who, I mean they actively worked against you to belittle you, to hurt you, to harm you in some way or another. I mean, did you ever work through a place where you you forgave them? So you didn't feel the enmity toward them anymore. But did you then embrace them as your brother or your sister? I love you. You're mine. And that's a big thing, right? That's a whole new issue. 
But that's what God has done for us in Christ. He didn't wipe the slate clean and say, keep your nose clean and and don't ever come around me again. I can't stand you. No, he, he wiped the slate clean. He gave us the righteousness of Christ. He's brought us close and adopted us as his own. He's given us an inheritance with Jesus. He's given us an incomparable hope. Romans 8 says that the suffering of this life cannot be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. This life is hard sometimes. But no matter how hard this life is, we know there's something coming, something better. Something so great that the sufferings here cannot be compared to the glory then. I mean, to me, I always think that's a super hard statement to understand. But it, it, it is what the Bible says. So how great must our hope be to understand we have that kind of a hope in this life? And that should make us awed at the mercy of God. So much so that we consecrate ourselves to him. We we climb on the altar to be a living sacrifice and abandon ourselves to do his will. God has predestined us to be like Jesus. He has a plan for our life and part of that plan is that we would be like his son. And so he works in us and through us and for us from the moment he saves us to begin to knock off the rough edges, to knock off the things that are wrong, to help us to be like Christ. He has made us more than conquerors through Jesus. Paul is very clear throughout the book of Romans that life is hard and troubles and trials may follow us. But he kind of goes off of what Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world to say, be of good cheer. Since Jesus has overcome, you'll overcome as well. We are more than conquerors through Christ who has loved us. These are just some of the mercies given to us in Christ. And if we understand these things, how could we not climb on the altar? Consecrate ourselves to God and abandon ourselves to do his will. You know, I think the greatest hindrance to our giving ourselves to God in this way because of the mercies of God. The greatest hindrance, I believe, is an entitlement mentality. You see, these are these are mercies and mercy. The the basic definition of mercy is. To be given what you don't deserve. I mean, do you realize we don't deserve any of those things we just talked about? We don't deserve Jesus to die for us. We don't deserve to be freed from the penalty of sin. We don't deserve to be freed from the, the, the slavery to sin. We don't deserve to be joint heirs with Christ. We don't deserve to be adopted as children of God. We don't deserve to be... Any of those things to be freed from the law. Everything God has ever done for us. Has been an act of mercy. He did it not because we deserve it, but because he is good and because he is merciful. And what often happens is we develop a entitlement mentality. With an entitlement mentality, what we say is. I've been a good Christian. And however we define good Christian, because typically we define it in our own way. And because I've been a good Christian or because I've done all the things I was supposed to do, God then owes me. 
God owes me these things. God is supposed to do these things for me. But the reality check we all need from time to time is we never put God in our debt. I mean, there there is not one thing or a billion things we could ever do that would ever put God in our debt. If we shared the gospel with every person in Texas County and then moved out and for every day of our lives we shared the gospel for every waking moment until we died, God would never be in our debt. We always are in His debt. Because we always fall short. Just think about today. We don't have time to go through the Ten Commandments, so I'll just speak with two. Today. Did you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength every moment of this day? Did you then love your neighbor as you love yourself every moment of this day? If not, you fell short today and you need God's mercy and you need God's grace. We are never, never put God in our debt. It is always an act of mercy. And our willingness to accept this will determine our devotion and our consecration to God. Those who have an entitlement mentality toward God will never consecrate themselves to God. They will never become a living sacrifice. They will never offer themselves wholly to God and abandon themselves to do the will of God. Rather, what they will do is they will define what they're supposed to do by their own ideas, their own mindset. They will occasionally do something for God. And their anticipation is that as they do it, God is going, Woo! Yay! That's awesome! I'm so happy! When instead what God is going is... That is woefully inadequate. That's an entitlement mentality. I'll I'll toss you a few bones, God. And as I do, you rejoice that I thought of you at all. You rejoice that I gave you any time at all. And now continue to do all this stuff for me. But when we really understand the ways God has poured out His mercy into our lives, we cannot help but be amazed at the mercies of God. And then consecrate ourselves to God. Crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice for God. And abandon ourselves to do the will of God. I mean, and that's the reality. Any hesitancy on our part to consecrate ourselves to God. To be a living sacrifice to God. To abandon ourselves to the will of God. Flows out of a wrong understanding of the mercies of God. So what does it look like? If we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, to consecrate ourselves, to be abandoned, to do the will of God. Well, verse one, it does say to present your bodies. And bodies, it it means it's it's envisioning everything. Right. So it's not a little here, a little there. It is everything to give your all, to sacrifice your all, to surrender your all and abandon your all to God. So we talk about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. I I think about it in terms of my body parts because it says bodies, my mind. Right? We 
to consecrate ourselves to God and offer ourselves to God, to abandon ourselves to the will of God, is to surrender our minds to God. You know, the Bible, for instance, in Philippians 4, 8, tells us what to think on. Think on these things. The Bible tells us how to think, right? And part of what it tells us how to think, look at verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reality is, none of us think aright completely. So we need our minds renewed. We need our our minds transformed. We need God to change the way we think. But... I have to be consecrated to God and say, you know what, God? I don't know everything. I'm not right about everything. I don't think about the world in all the right ways. I don't think about people in all the right ways. So God, change how I think so I will think the way you think about these issues. Or we we think on things. How many of the things we spend our lives thinking on Qualify into the Philippians 4 8 category. Whatever's what good, true, right, virtuous, noble, praiseworthy, commendable. How much of what we watch and thus think on, read and thus think on, listen to and thus think on, just sit and think on, how much of it falls into that category? Consecrate ourselves to the Lord means we consecrate our minds, our hearts. Our our affections. Who we love. I mean, there are some people we may not love. And yet, God may say we're supposed to love them. How we love. Do you know that in in God's Word, loving someone is more than just saying, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to them, but it's more than that. There's things we do if we love people. What it means to love. I was reading today in 1 Corinthians 13 as part of my Bible reading. I mean, that's you're really just, that's rough, right? Love does this, love doesn't do that, love is never this way, love is always that way. I mean, that's 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 how we're to love. But but man, here's what's hard. I'm not just to love Kelly that way, or Lizzie that way, or Caitlin and Sarah that way. I'm I'm to love y'all that way. But not just y'all. I'm to love them that way. I'm to love whatever, whoever that way. Man, that's, that's big time hard. And, and here's, here's a reality. Here's a confession from your pastor. There are people I don't want to love that way. But if I'm consecrated to God, guess what I have to be willing to do? Love them that way. With our hearts, also our desires. Do you know there are some desires we're not supposed to give in to? There are some desires we're not even supposed to have. And there are some desires we may not have we're supposed to have. How do we get that changed? We have to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Hands, in the Bible, hands often refer to our deeds. What we do. What we don't do. How we do what we do. I mean... Again, we all know there's certain things we're supposed to do as disciples of Jesus. There's things we're not supposed to do. There's even ways we're supposed to do the things we do. I mean, there is a right and a wrong way to do the right things. And God cares that we do the right things in the right ways. How do we get there? We have to consecrate ourselves. Our Our feet, where we go, where we don't go. 
There are some places we may be supposed to go we don't want to go. And there may be some places we want to go we're not supposed to go. So what do we do? We have to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Our eyes, what we look at. There are things we're not supposed to look at according to God's Word. There are people and the way we view them. There is a particular way disciples of Jesus are to view other humans made in the image of God regardless of anything else about them. There are things we don't look at that maybe we're supposed to look at. We intentionally don't see because it makes us uncomfortable and we're supposed to see so it'll stir our hearts to do something about it. So we have to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Our ears, what we listen to, what we don't listen to, how we listen to what we listen to. And there's some things we're not supposed to give heed to. There are things we're definitely supposed to listen to, but even the things we listen to, the Bible even tells us how to listen in the right ways. So what, how do we do that? We have to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. There is no aspect of our lives not affected by consecrating ourselves to the Lord, by crawling upon the altar as a living sacrifice and abandoning ourselves to the will of God. When we do this, when we consecrate ourselves, we crawl upon the altar and we abandon ourselves to the will of God. We surrender our values. The values of a disciple of Jesus should be different than the values of an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus. Our priorities. Our attitudes. Man, our attitudes. And, and I don't have time to, to go off on a rant right now. But if you're on social media, look at the attitudes of professed disciples of Jesus. They are wicked and horrible. We are not to be like the world. If our attitudes, people cannot tell the difference between us and a hate-filled monger, there is something wrong with us. Our actions, our reactions, our morality, our preferences, our money, how we spend it, what we do with it, our time, our hopes, our dreams, our plans, all of those things are to be surrendered to the Lord. And it's all part of what it means to consecrate ourselves to God. So we're a living sacrifice who has set aside wholly for the service to God and has abandoned themselves to do the will of God. As I mentioned earlier, present in the idea of consecrating ourselves is a moment in time where we specifically do this. We see it here in this passage. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. This is a call to make an intentional, willful decision to consecrate yourself to God, to crawl upon the altar, set yourself aside wholly for the service of God and to abandon yourself to the will of God. It is something we have to do intentionally, right? It's not automatic. We must intentionally make the decision to consecrate ourselves to God, to offer ourselves as a sacrifice, to abandon ourselves to the will of God. There must come a moment in all of our lives 
where we say, here am I, send me. Where we say, I consecrate myself to you. I'm crawling upon the altar. I abandon my life to do your will, O God. And that's hard. To surrender all of the things we've talked about and to surrender them all to the Lord. But what makes it even harder is it's not a one-time decision. And he was saying to them, saying to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow after me. We have to do this all the time. We see this in Romans, to be a living sacrifice. You know the difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice? A living sacrifice can crawl off the altar where a dead one cannot. You place a dead sacrifice on the altar, it's there until you're done with it. A living sacrifice constantly is trying to crawl off and get away. And if we crawl on the altars tonight, our sinful nature will immediately try to push back against this and kick and push and fight and scream until we get off there. This means that while there is a moment in time in which we must say, I am consecrating myself to you, I'm climbing upon the altar, devoting myself to do to you and abandoning myself to your will. It means if we come forward tonight and you pray that prayer, something like that tonight, you're going to have to pray it again tomorrow. Probably not just once, over and over again, because to be consecrated to God is to say yes to God and no to anything that's not God's will. And I can promise you there are going to be things in your life tomorrow that are not God's will, that are not God's want and not God's way. And you're going to have to say yes to God and no to those things over and over and over again. It is a definite act we make at a specific point in time. And then it is one we continue to make almost in a moment by moment basis. And I'll, I'll nearly close with this quote by a fellow named Oswald Chambers. Suppose God tells you to do something that is an enormous test of your common sense, totally going against it. What will you do? Will you hold back? If you get into the habit of doing something physically, you do it every time you're tested until you break the habit through sheer determination. It's the same spiritually. Again and again, you will come right up to what Jesus wants. But every time you will turn back to the true point of testing until you're determined to abandon yourself to God in total surrender. Oswald Chambers' point is simple but profound. You will never consecrate yourselves to God so you become a living sacrifice who is set aside wholly for service to God, who is abandoned to the will of God until you choose to be. I've had people through the years ask me, pray for me, preacher, that I'll be more devoted to God. And I do. And I pray that for people regularly. But here's the reality. Your prayers for me cannot make me more devoted to God. You know what's going to make me more devoted to God? You know what's going to make me consecrated to God? My decision to consecrate myself to God. And I can pray for you. To be more devoted to God. To consecrate yourself to God. To abandon yourself to the will of God. But the only person who can make that happen in your life is you. The reality. The harsh, terrifying reality is each one of us. We are as abandoned to the will of God. As consecrated to God. And as much a living sacrifice to God as we choose to be. And so anything in our lives that is not surrendered to God. It's not God. 
And it's not the church and it's not our parents and it's not our neighbors and it's not our Sunday school teacher and it's not our spouse. It's us. The number one hindrance to my being consecrated to God, being a living sacrifice to God and being abandoned to the will of God. It is the fellow I see when I look in the mirror. And the number one hindrance to you being consecrated to God. To you being a living sacrifice to God. To you being abandoned to the will of God. Is you. You determine your level of devotion to God. You determine whether or not you're consecrated to God. You determine whether or not you're a living sacrifice to God. You determine whether you're abandoned to the will of God. And I determine all those things about me. Tonight as we pray, spend time first praising God for what He has done for us in Christ. Mercies. Be sure you focus on them as mercies. Ask for a deeper understanding of what they mean and how important they are. Ask God to show you any area of your life where you are not consecrated. Where you aren't living as a living sacrifice. Where you have not abandoned your life to the will of God. And then spend time consecrating yourself to God. Say the words. I consecrate myself to you, Lord. I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. I abandon my will to do your will. Oh God, you are the only one who can pray that prayer. You're the only one who can make that level of consecration in your life. I challenge us all to do that tonight. I'll pray and then we'll take prayer requests and pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You are great and glorious, wonderful and merciful. Give us the deep understanding of your mercies. Father, our nation... Our culture is very much an entitlement culture. We deserve everything and more. And yet that's simply not the way it is in your kingdom. Break break the stronghold of the entitlement mentality upon us. Put us in awe of your mercies. Put us in awe of I mean, just what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If we can start with the fact that God of glory died on our behalf, everything else will come after that. Destroy the entitlement mentality in us. Show us tonight anything in our lives that any area we're not consecrated, any area we're not surrendered, anything that's not yours. Help us tonight, Lord, to to mean it. To offer ourselves to you to be consecrated. Offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. To offer to abandon ourselves to do your will in all things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.